الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان وبعد قد قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم عامرا لنبيه صلى الله عليه وسلم ولأمته بعده صلى الله عليه وسلم وقل جاء الحق وزهق الباطل إن الباطل كان زهقا وصدق الله العظيم All praises to Allah and may his peace and blessings be upon his servant and messenger our master Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam By the fadl of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we have reached the last week of the sacred month of Dhul Qa'da these are the months in which the primordial aboriginal right of the hajj or the visitation of the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was undertaken this is not a right which started with the ummah of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam Rather, the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ is the final and most perfect flag bearer of this ancient rite, which is associated with Sayyidina Ibrahim ﷺ, and which is the shi'ar or the distinguishing feature of the millah of Sayyidina Ibrahim ﷺ, of which the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad ﷺ is the flag bearer and the official representative in front of Allah Ta'ala. But it didn't even start with Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. Rather the visitation of the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a rite which is as old as time itself. It was a rite undertaken by all of the prophets before Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam and after him. It was a rite undertaken by Sayyidina Adam our father alayhi salam and before him the angels in heaven. The visitation of the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a sacred rite, the flag of which was given to whom? To Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam in a time after which it was abandoned by the people. And there are a number of beautiful characteristics and important reasons that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave this flag to Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam who is in the belief of the Muslims amongst the prophets the one who commands the second highest stage the second highest status only to be outdone by Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam his millah or the group of people who follow the same religious ethos, the same religious practices, the same religious ideals is represented by the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he was commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to tell the people I am of the millah of Ibrahim alayhi salam. This hajj which is coming the sacred month of which Dhul Hijjah will start after less than a week, depending on when the moon is sighted, Tuesday or Wednesday, 
this month of Dhul Hijjah, this month is by the consensus of the ulama, the most sacred month of the entire year. Many people, because of the cultural involvement that they have with Ramadan, will assume that Ramadan is the most sacred month of the year. This is incorrect. The most sacred month of the year, according to the ulama, is what? It is the month of Dhul Hijjah. And amongst the days of the month of Dhul Hijjah, the most sacred days are which? The first ten of the month of Dhul Hijjah. And from those days, the most sacred are in increasing order. The eighth, and then the ninth, and then the tenth of Dhul Hijjah, which is the Eid al-Adha. And for those of us who are in Hajj, the day of the tenth of Dhul Hijjah is known by a different name, Yawm al-Nahal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, whoever Hajjaj are here, who have the intention of going to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take them with afiyah and bring them back with afiyah, with a, a hajj which is accepted. Because if the hajj is accepted from any of us, inshallah, there will be benefit for all of us. So we should always make dua for one another. However, the sacredness of these days is not solely connected to whether a person is going to hajj or not. Rather, for everybody, these days are equally sacred. It comes in the hadith of Rasulullah wasallam that there are no days in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is more beloved to him, that the slave show his slavehood, meaning do those acts that are acts of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, than the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. And the one who fasts one day from amongst those 10 days. Obviously it's haram to fast on the Eid, but the hukum is for the, the, the ghalib al-kul. The nine days that you do fast, uh, because of them the 10 days are mentioned. The person who fasts a day from those 10 days, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will count it as what? As if that person fasted a year of any other part of the year. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that the person who fasts on the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, which is known for those who are in Hajj, it's known as the Yawm Al-Talwiyah, the person who fasts the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, for that person, not only will the fast count as the fast of a year of any other part of the year, but it will also count as an expiation, as a kafara for one year's worth of sins. And the person who fasts on the 9th of Dhul Hijjah, which is for those who are in Hajj known as the Yawm Arafah, for that person there is the expiation of two years of sins, the year that came before and the year that will come ahead with the condition that anyone who commits a major sin, for that person there is a, 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 an obligatory repentance for that sin. Afterward, the expiation, the kafara for the atonement for that sin will be wrapped up in what? In the sacredness of fasting on this Mubarak and sacred day, which is the what? The ninth of Dhul Hijjah. And thus far we haven't mentioned the most sacred of the ten, which is the tenth of Dhul Hijjah, which is the Yawm al-Nahar and it's the Yawm al-Eid, the Yawm al-Eid al-Adha. That the Eid al-Adha, forget about the fasting of the nine days that comes from before, there is a special, there is a special uh, act of worship in this day. That Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, 
that on the day of the day of the tenth of the Hijjah, there is no action, there is no act which is more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the spilling of the blood of sacrifices. There is no action that is more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the tenth of the Hijjah. On that day of Eid and then the days that come after it, that is more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the spilling of the blood of sacrifices. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentions what is the reality, what is the meaning of the spilling of the blood of sacrifices on that day. That the blood of the sacrifice doesn't even reach the ground. The throat is cut, the animal is low to the ground. It doesn't take but a fraction of a second for that blood to hit the ground. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says that the blood of that sacrifice doesn't hit the ground before it reaches a maqam with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, before it's registered, the piety of that deed is registered with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says in a hadith that every single hair on the body of that animal will count as a separate good deed for the one who gives that sacrifice. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum were astounded. Ya Rasulullah, what about Suf? What about the animal that has wool, that has so much hair? They said even, even every, every hair of the animal that has wool, that has Suf, even that animal that is filled with thick hair all over its body, even that animal, every single hair on its body will count as a separate act of piety. In another narration, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he mentions every drop of blood, the horns, the teeth, the bones, every single part of that animal, every single separable part of that animal will count as what? As an act of piety with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It comes in another narration that on the day of judgment, when people will be resurrected, that the animals of man sacrificed for this specific noble occasion, those animals will be, sacri- those animals will be resurrected with the person. And on the day that the kuffar will be Driven like themselves, like herding animals and grazing animals, driven to the place of judgment. What does driven mean? It doesn't mean that you sit in the car and you put the key in the ignition. This is the classical meaning of the word driven. What does it mean? Even in Arabic, the, the, the verb used in the modern language for drive, it means what? It means that the shepherd has the stick and he's uh, pushing the animals by force that they should, he's driving the animals in the direction he wants them to go. In English, it's the same thing. Those people will be driven, the angels will be with lashes driving the kuffar to the place of judgment. Why? Because they want to flee from that judgment. That was the judgment they spent their entire lives trying to ignore, trying to get away from, trying to deny, drugging themselves and entertaining themselves to the point where they didn't have to think about that judgment. That judgment now, by force, they will be driven. On that day, these animals will be resurrected. Each and every one of them will be put in front of the believer that he can choose which one he wishes to ride on. Ride on, so that they can get to the place of judgment in a, in a manner of ease, and in, in a manner of honor, and in a manner of dignity. The entire herd will go together like an entourage. Don't you see how the people of importance in this dunya, when they travel, they don't wait in lines. When they move from place to place, they don't wait in lines. They have an entourage, they have cars in front of their car and cars behind their car. People make way for them. They have the way cleared, they have the way blocked off for them from before they reach where they're going. Trust me on the Yom Al-Qiyamah, the Muluk and Jabbari and the kings and the tyrants of this world. The people who have money in this world, 
the people who have wealth in this world, from amongst them anyone who doesn't have the wealth of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, those people will have nothing on that day. And the people, you know the people that are sitting next to you in the masjid, you don't bother to find out what their name is, they don't bother to find out what your name is. Those people who sit and they mention the sacred name of Allah Ta'ala and they uh, uh, sit and they read the Qur'an and they pray Salat because you assume they had nothing better to do. Those people on that day, Yawm Al-Qiyamah, those people will be with a maqam with Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala and the wealth of every act of worship that they had will be manifested in that day in a very real way. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa gives us the promise that what? The glad tidings that those animals that you made sacrifice of on that day, those animals will be there for you and they will be part of your entourage. They will be your ride to the Yawm Al-Qiyamah. They will be an honor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala graces you with. Brothers and sisters, why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us so much, so much reward for so little? This is part of the modernist uh, line of thinking. When we say modernist, we don't mean somebody who lives in 2017, because even someone who's living in a cave right now, he's still in 2017, we're all equal in that. It doesn't make any difference. When we say modernist, it's a way of looking at things, it's a philosophy that's actually quite old, it's now centuries old. It's a philosophy that says what? That says, forget about things that are intangible, let's talk about things that are tangible. Money, and things I can measure, and things that I can count, those are practical, everything else is impractical. Modernists will say, what's the need of spilling the blood of sacrifices? We already eat meat every day, and we're already full, and we're already uh, taken care of, none of us are hungry. Maybe we should instead take the money that we would have spent on the sacrifice and put it into, uh, uh, you know, put it into some other, some, you know, into the food bank at the, uh, in the local neighborhood. Or we should put it into the masjid. Or we should put it into, uh, uh, you know, opening a seminary. Or we should put it into uh, uh, some political uh, issue or some other issue that's quote-unquote more important. The fact of the matter is, if Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, this is the most important thing, this is the most beloved thing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after that point, there's nobody who can say that I'm a Muslim, I'm one who submits his will to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, after, after arguing with what Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa have said. And Allah ta'ala said, Allah ta'ala conveyed the message on the tongue of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa that there is no act more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these days, that then what? Then the spilling of the blood of sacrifices. Inshallah, there's a, a request that everybody move forward, fill the gaps. The sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah, Don't sit in, don't be caught in the back lines, uh, neither in the masjid nor in any other uh, occasion a person goes out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So please come forward, and if you can, Please move to uh, uh, your right-hand side because the door is on the left. So we need to make room that everybody can enter in the uh, the Jumu'ah khutbah. So Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam already decided this uh, uh, this matter for us. Allah Taala already decided this matter for us. That in these days, this is the thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. This is the shi'ar of Islam. This is the shi'ar of the ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and of the millah of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. That's why it's beloved to Allah ta'ala. What's the point if we build everything? If we build all sorts of buildings and institutions, masajid, political clout, power, wealth, all of these things, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't accept it. Didn't you, re- didn't you read the story that's in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about the two brothers, the two sons of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted from one of them and he didn't accept from the other. And the brother from whom was accepted says, إِنَّمَا يَتَقَبَّلَ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ Allah Ta'ala doesn't accept from anyone other than those who fear Him. You can do an act. Allah Ta'ala, it's His choice whether He wants to accept it or not. Our aslaf, the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, the tabi'een and the pious and righteous of the ulama and the awliya and the salihin from before us and even amongst us, they are people who spent their lives religiously, religiously. That's what religion should be. This is what it used to be. That's what it should be still. Religiously, with the concern that they should perform every act of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to the sharia of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa that the wudu should be perfect, that the prayer should be perfect, that the, every letter of the Qur'an should be recited perfectly. There are literally sciences and branches of learning, disciplines, practical and theoretical that preserve every single one of these aspects of the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not just in the ibadat, not just in the physical acts of worship, but in transactions, how we are supposed to transact with one another financially, in, in, in social relations, how we are supposed to get married, how we are supposed to get divorced, how all of these things are supposed to be. All of them have been preserved to, uh, uh, preserved to a remarkable degree, both in abstract concept and in practical detail. We don't even do that anymore. Now what do we do? We do everything the way we want to do it. And then afterward when someone says, Brother, this is what the Sharia says. Sister, this is what the Sharia says. People say, Allah knows what's in my heart. Who are you to judge me? Get lost. This is not how our Islam work. After that, however, despite putting in so much effort in order to make sure that every single deed they did for the sake of Allah Ta'ala was done correctly, seeking that correctness with a religious fervor and a religious zeal. Afterward, they spent the entire rest of their lives crying in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, Ya Allah, you accept from me. Why? Because you can do something for the sake of Allah ta'ala. If you don't do it correctly, you know it's a fail. If something costs $10 and you go to, the, you go, you know, you go to uh, buy it from the store and you give them $9, you know they're not going to give it to you. The rest of their lives they used to spend crying in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hoping that He accepts. Because just because you have the $10 and you show up at the store, if the shopkeeper doesn't even want to let you into the shop, he doesn't have to. If he doesn't want to transact with you, he doesn't have to. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who doesn't need the money. Allah ta'ala is the one who doesn't need the sacrifice from me, from you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّمَا يَتَقَبَّلَ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ Allah ta'ala doesn't accept from anyone except for from the one who fears Him. Now tell me, what's the point if we do all of these things? If we build political clout and power institutions, the masjid has a $100,000 chandelier, Allah Ta'ala knows uh, ad nauseum all of these things that we can do. What's the point if Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala doesn't accept from us? This was the primary fikr and the primary uh, uh, concern of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum. That's why their masjid was not as fancy as this masjid is. Their masjid had no chandelier, they had no roof to hang a chandelier from in the first place. They were people who didn't have cars at all, much less fancy ones like we have. They were people who don't have fancy clothes like we do. They are people who didn't eat like we eat. They are people who didn't uh, uh, have the wealth and the power and education uh, in worldly things that we do. But they had knowledge, they had understanding that what? Everything if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't accept from me, then I'm sunk, I have nothing. 
Now we have these questions regarding what's the point of sacrificing, what's the point of following these sha'ir of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what's the point of, 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 of manifesting our following of the millah of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam and we could have done something else with the money. What we don't understand is what? The whole point of Islam. The word Islam doesn't mean peace. I'm sorry for the people who like to say this in the media and things like that. You should study uh, sarf, you should study Arabic morphology. The root of the word Islam, salima, has that meaning that it can carry, but the word Islam, aslama yuslimu, specifically means what? It means to submit or to submit something. You submit yourself for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the idea is much like the sacrifice. What you give for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is much greater than what you receive. And this sacrifice itself, it's not a sacrifice that we're making on our own that has all that much barakah in it. Because you can make the sacrifice for $65, for $365. These amounts that the, the range of the cost of the sacrifice is, they're very small amounts. The reason that the sacrifice has what? Has any meaning. It's not fi dhatihi, it's li ghayrihi. It's not because of the sacrifice that you do yourself, rather because it has a, a nisbah with sacred days that you didn't make sacred, with uh, 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 sacred people who you didn't make sacred. If the sacrifice of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam didn't exist, your sacrifice on that day wouldn't have meant anything. Or at the greatest, it would have meant something very normal and very uh, uh, mundane and very very uh, run-of-the-mill, it wouldn't have been something special that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have given you all of this reward for. And who is that Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book, وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ رُشْدَهُ مِنْ قَبْلُ وَكُنَّا بِهِ عَالِمِينَ That we gave Ibrahim alayhi salam his rushd, his, his intellect, his ability to tell the difference between right and wrong from far before his prophethood. And we had all knowledge regarding him. And there's a very special story, it's told in the Qur'an in many places, in Surah Al-Anbiya and in Surah Safat, regarding who? That Ibrahim who was what we would consider a boy, he was a young man. That he saw his people worshipping idols, and he was disgusted with it. And he said that these things that they make with their own hands, that they worship them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who created the heavens and the earth, has to be more than that. And this is part of our aqidah that we understand. God cannot be a, a statue, God cannot be a human being either. You cannot have a carpenter create a table, build a table that he's a part of. It doesn't work that way. This is a, a, a rational inconsistency. In Islam, we accept the fact that a human being may not be able to understand certain things. But we don't accept that anything that is patently ir irrational is ever true. In Islam, we can accept that we don't understand everything. That part is, that, that part is acceptable. A person doesn't understand how a cell phone works. So everybody always, oh, I know how it works. You don't know how it works. Tell me how many grams of like cadmium is there in your battery. You have no idea. You don't understand exactly how your cell phone works, but you accept the fact that it must be something. But there's nothing in the cell phone. You know from the beginning, there's nothing in the cell phone that makes like one equal two. Why? Because that would be patently irrational. Sayyidina Ibrahim had this very simple understanding and he what? He was a person, he was the Hanif, the one who inclines toward the truth. He looked at the, 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 the star, the kokab. Some of the Mufassirin say it's specifically the, the Venus when it shines in the night sky. And he said that, uh, is this my God? And it disappears, it comes out of orbit. Then he looked at the moon, the moon is greater than a star in the night sky, but it also 
waxes and it wanes, and at any rate, it's, it's, it's not there for the entire month. Then he looked at the sun, the sun comes out every day, but even the sun sets. And then he came to the realization that what? The one who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he cannot be part of the creation. He cannot be part of the creation. This is, by the way, a purely rational uh, uh, set of ideas, a, set, a pr- purely rational progression. This is something you don't need to be a Nabi to understand, nor do you even need a revealed religion to understand. This is the, the opinion of the majority of the mutakallimun, that this much is something you don't even need a revealed religion to understand. Anyone from outside on the street can come to this conclusion without becoming a Muslim or without uh, meeting a prophet or an encounter with a, real book, uh, a revealed book or a sacred text. Then he says that whoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the heavens and the earth is, that, that Allah who my mind cannot come to, that my eyes cannot see and that my ears cannot hear, whoever he is, I submit myself to him. And then afterward, what did he do? He said that these idols that these people worship, these things are, uh, these things are horrible and they're misguidance for the people. There's no good in them. I'm going to plot against them. Now lest the person think, why is this guy rehashing these old stories again and again? These are all things that we knew from the time that we're children. Perhaps some of the children who are in attendance in this khutbah will say, I already know that and I'm not even a sheikh, I'm just a kid. Why, why do you need a sheikh to, to say this in the, in the khutbah? Why do you need a khatib to say this in the khutbah? Don't you see, don't you look at and see at the, 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 the situation around us right now? That in this country, there are literally people right now who are shouting threats at one another and that are willing to kill one another because of these false idols, because of these statues that undoubtedly flank us on all sides. That there are a set of people in this country that are willing to what? Kill and die for what? For a batil that's in the statues. And what do they say? They get up and scream that this is the heritage of our forefathers. And then afterward, they have the gall to tell people that we're Christians. Don't you read the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even though we don't consider it to be mahfuz, we don't consider it to be free from tampering. In its original format, the bare minimum, it was a revelation from Allah ta'ala. Don't you read the revelation where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade your forefathers from worshipping idols. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say that one man is better than another man because of the, the race that they were born into. Don't you see, don't you understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't give a people a right to what? To follow batil, to follow falsehood. Why? Because this is what our forefathers did. If anyone had the right to follow falsehood because it's what their forefathers did. Didn't say that Ibrahim alayhi salam, the household that he lived in, he lived in the house of an idol maker. Didn't he have the right to what? Let himself off and give himself the excuse that this is our culture, this is our heritage, this is our Torah. This is, this is what, we, uh, uh, what we came with. If Ibrahim alayhi salam wasn't given that excuse, and if Ibrahim alayhi salam is celebrated precisely because he didn't accept, because he didn't accept this falsehood, neither from his own relatives, nor from his own society, nor from his own culture, that when he was a, a young man, read the tafsir of, of, of the story of him breaking the idols, that it was the Eid of their people, it was the, the religious festival of their people. They all left the city and went out to celebrate in the open. And he looked and then he said that I'm sick, meaning sick of their idolatry. And he stayed behind and he shattered each one of those idols with his own hands, alayhi salatu wasalam. And then he puts the axe in the hand of the large idol. And when his people come back, they ask, who did this to our gods? 
He said, it's the big one. Ask him, see, look, the, the axe is in his hand. And they come back to, they, 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 add, they tell him, you know, this is, this is patently ridiculous. You know, he cannot move. He cannot talk. How do you expect, expect us to believe that the large idol is the one who destroyed the small ones? And he asked them, then why do you worship them? And they come back to their senses only for a minute. And that's where the rational process ends. Instead of giving, he gave a very, he gave a very rational jawab uh, ilzami. Uh, he made an ilzam that if you say that these are gods, and you say at the same time that they're unable to speak, they're unable to talk, then why do you worship them? Instead of answering logically and rationally, what did he do? What did they do to him? They said, burn him and kill him. This is the answer of kufr from before. And this is still the answer of kufr today. There are no t- two sides or many sides to this discussion. One is right and the other one is wrong. You don't have to feel ashamed and you don't have to feel like you're uncompromising or you have bad manners to say that in public. This is what our tradition is. Literally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of this gift, our ummah is the only group in this world that's left that is the one who has the courage and the strength to be able to say what's right and what's wrong when the entire rest of the world is going to burn physically in fire, in this world and the hereafter, mentally, psychologically, intellectually, culturally, as a civilization, it's going to burn in the fire of what? Of relativism, which leaves nothing intact. Because if relativism is all you have, then you have nothing and you have everything at the same time. Whoever says you have everything, whoever says everything is true, this is just a coded way of saying nothing is true. It's a coded way of saying you have nothing at all. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from the people who follow the millah of Sayyidina Ibrahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us people who follow the millah of Sayyidina Ibrahim. Allah ta'ala give us the tawfiq that we should make the sacrifice in this Mubarak, uh, uh, in this Mubarak uh, uh, days and in these Mubarak months. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it from us. Wa sallallahu ta'ala rasuli Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa qulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum li sa'ad al-muslimina fa astaghfiruhu innahu huwa al-ghafur rahim.